1: Taxes are, in a lot of places in the world, are uh, uh, legitimate evidence in court. They are considered legitimate, while emails are not.
0: That's Yaniv Balmas. He's head of security research at Checkpoint Software Technologies. The research we're discussing today is titled Faxbloit, Sending Facts Back to the Dark Ages.
1: This is why a lot of government offices and, you know, hospitals, medical, they really promote facts as a secure way of communication. This is a big misconception. And it was clear to us that this is a misconception because basically this protocol has been around since ever. Like it wasn't really changed in the past 30 years or so. We're still using the same things. And in those days, nobody thought about security. This really smelled to us like a... You know, a vulnerability waiting to happen. And uh, we thought there is a lot of potential here, and we accepted the challenge.
0: Yeah. So, can you take us through a little bit of the history of fax machines? I mean, I I remember, uh, you know, early on when they first came out, thinking it was this miraculous thing that uh, basically you could uh, send a photocopy over a phone line. What was the underlying technology there?
1: So basically, I'm not a big historian, but I can tell you that when we read some information about this in the internet, it turns out there's some really interesting facts about it. For example, uh, the fax was invented before the telephone, I think around 40 years before the invention of the telephone, and even before the invention of the light bulb. But it evolved a lot throughout the years. It had a few standards to it. But then in the 1980s, which is kind of roughly when fax became really popular, came an organization called ITUT designed the protocols that we still use today. It's the same protocols. The the main protocol is called uh, T30. And we used it in 1980 and we still use the very same protocol today with very slight extensions and uh, enhancement to it.
0: And and so within that protocol, what are we talking about here? Is there uh, any any sort of uh, secure encryption or compression? What's going on?
1: Well, the protocol defines electronic document delivery over telephone lines. And that's basically what it does. Absolutely nothing else in terms of security, you know, because basically in 1980s, who thought about security? There is absolutely no security elements inside this protocol's design. No passwords, no encryption, no authenticity, uh, nothing at all.
0: Now, in your presentation uh, at DEF CON, uh, you sort of walked through your attempts to infiltrate a a fax machine and get onto someone's network uh, using that as your your
1: point of entry. Uh, Walk us through. What did you do? Yeah, that's actually the interesting idea here. You know, today fax machines are no longer these standalone fax machines that we used to have in the 1980s. The protocol didn't change. What did change is the way that we use fax. Today fax is, I would say, kind of wrapped around newer technologies, so for example, I think the most common usage of fax today is in all-in-one printers. Those printers that you get from whatever vendor, and and you know they basically have a lot of functionalities and fax. So the thing is that those printers are connected on one hand to the phone line in order to support fax, and then on the other hand it's connected to the internal network, you know, through Ethernet, USB, Wi-Fi, or whatever. But this basically creates a bridge between the phone line to the internal network. So the the interesting scenario that we imagine to ourselves is that an attacker would be able to send a malicious fax through the phone line, take over the printer, and then once he has the printer, he can just propagate to the internal network using any of the interfaces. And that's effectively bridging the internal network with the external network just using the telephone line.
0: All right. Well, let's explore that. Uh, I mean, when you say a malicious fax, what are we talking about?
1: It took us a lot of time to understand that. but uh, basically, a fax is nothing but kind of a picture format that's being sent over the over the telephone line. Usually, it's TIFF format that's for black and white faxes, the normal faxes. But it turns out that the protocol has a lot of extensions to it. And one of those extensions include a colorful fax extension. For some reason, people need to use this, I'm not sure why. And then, This format allows you to send a JPEG instead of the TIFF file. And the specific vulnerabilities that we found actually exist right there in the JPEG parsing functionality. So the fax is received, the JPEG is received to the printer. And once the printer comes to parse the JPEG file, that's where the vulnerability lies. And that's how we managed to exploit the printer.
0: So, what is the vulnerability in the JPEG parsing?
1: At the end of the day, the vulnerability itself is pretty easy, it's just a stack based overflow in one of the JPEG headers, and that's it. The nice thing is that since this is a printer, it has absolutely no protections. If you compare this to a modern computer, you know, who has a lot of protections around these kind of things, a printer basically has nothing. So once you've been able to overflow the stack, it's basically game over.
0: So, I mean, walk us through this. So you, what you would be able to do is uh, dial up this fax machine and send a JPEG image that you had modified uh, to overflow the stack. So take a step by step. What happens then?
1: Yeah, that's basically what you describe is basically what happens. An attacker uh, wants to attack uh, some target. He looks up their fax number and then he just sends this malicious JPEG file over a fax. It's just a script sending a fax. Then he's basically in control of the printer because the stack is overflowed. And from that point on, basically everything is possible. We did a demo on stage, and also we have a demo for this thing in YouTube showing what we can do after we took over the printer. And basically what we decided to, to do is to put Eternal Blue, the leaked NSA exploit uh, used in WannaCry and, and so on. So we've put that exact exploit inside our fax. So once the printer got exploited, it then started looking for any connected devices on Ethernet, and once the device is located, it just tries to exploit it using Eternal Blue. And if your, uh, if the connected device is not patched, we will be able to run code on this device as well.
0: Now, but help me understand. I, I guess the part I'm having trouble with is. Um, The code is sent within the JPEG, so I understand that part of it. Now, are you all maintaining a connection over the phone line with the compromised device and and able to send additional commands there, or is everything wrapped up in that initial JPEG that you send?
1: Yeah, theoretically, it is possible to do a bidirectional connection uh, over the phone line, but we didn't do that. We just wanted to show that we can exploit fax. So our specific exploit is unidirectional. So once we send the fax, that's it. We have no no more connection. The exploits occur. Then, of course, if the printer or if the exploited machine that was connected to the network is connected to the Internet, we're able to maintain a channel over the Internet, but not over the telephone line.
0: Now, was this problem with parsing the JPEGs, is this something fundamental to the protocol? Is this something that would be built into every fax machine? Or was this specific to the brand and model that you were attacking?
1: Okay, so the specific vulnerabilities we found are specific for the vendor that we uh, looked at. The protocol itself, T30, as far as we can see, doesn't really have any design issues with it, security design issues. The thing is that the protocol itself was written in 1980, and it looks that way. I mean, it's really complicated, it's complex, it's a big spaghetti code of protocol, and that makes implementation really hard and whoever is trying to implement that will probably misunderstand something here and there, and that's that's a point. That's how bugs occur, and that's how vulnerabilities come to be. So the protocol itself is not vulnerable. The implementation is, and specifically the vulnerabilities that we found are in the vendor that we looked at. We can't say if the same vulnerabilities or similar vulnerabilities exist in other vendors, but just because we didn't look at the other vendors, I'm guessing that if somebody will look at other vendors, there's a pretty high chance, I would guess, that he can find similar stuff in there as well.
0: Now, did you notify the vendor? Was there any response from them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Checkpoint Research, we we only do responsible disclosures. And once we found out that this thing is possible, we immediately contacted the vendor. And they were very responsive. We worked really closely with them. And helped them to create patches for this. And our publication came only after a patch was available. So anybody can check if his printer is vulnerable and download and, and install the patches.
0: I can imagine this is the sort of thing I, I think with these sorts of devices, you kind of think it's out of sight, out of mind. It's functioning properly. It's doing the things you want it to do every day, sitting there on a desk in the corner. And it might be the kind of thing where you're not actively going out and looking for patches for a device like this, particularly if it's one that's been sitting there for a few years.
1: Unfortunately, I think you're right. How long ago did you update your printer? (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's really a thing. But we, we checked this with the vendor, and they say that... Most of their printers come shipped with auto updates in them. So you don't really have to do anything just to connect your printer to the internet and it will be automatically updated. Now, how many printers has this feature enabled? I don't know. And I guess it could be a good advice for people to take a look at those devices from time to time, especially if there's something, you know, really big going around and a new vulnerability was found, it might be worth updating them.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about that. What what is your advice when it comes to these sorts of things? I mean, should the, should these multifunction machines, these dedicated fax machines, should they be somehow segmented from the rest of your network?
1: My first advice and maybe best advice would be to stop using fax. I don't know why why we still need to use use fax. (laughs) It's 2018. (laughs) But uh, you know, if you can't do that, then yeah, maybe the segmentation uh, idea that you brought up is, is a good idea. You see, you can't possibly know how many vulnerabilities are there and if there's any new vulnerabilities, if there's any undisclosed vulnerabilities that may affect your... Printers or any other devices. Uh, so the best idea would be to maybe segment them from the rest of your network, so that even if somebody is able to take over those devices, at least he won't be able to propagate and touch your really sensitive computers that are located in the internal network. It's not a perfect solution, but I think it's a good one and the best one I can actually offer.
0: Yeah, now it's it's interesting these legacy you know machines. Uh, you know, sitting around uh, like I say, out of sight out of mind. and you, it's it's hard to know what's going on with them. I mean, I suppose part of it too'd be if if you're an organization, uh, it's in your best interest to take inventory of these devices and and perhaps uh, be on some kind of a regular update cycle, whether it's still working or not, just so that you can get more up-to-date uh, hardware and software in there.
1: Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I think uh, in many organizations, this is out of scope for uh, the day-to-day maintenance work for the IT department. uh, And it should be.
0: Our thanks to Yaniv Balmas from Checkpoint for joining us. The research is titled Faxploit, Breaking the Unthinkable. We'll have a link in the show notes. You can also find it on the Checkpoint website. The research was co-authored by Checkpoint's Iyal Itkin.